Good morning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. How we doing? Hope you're doing a lot better than me. I am a nervous, emotional wreck right now. But amen. Amen. I got a lot to talk about and a little time to talk about it, so bear with me. Um, I spent the last month trying to figure out how in the world I could put going on a mission trip in words, but especially a mission trip to Africa, uh, because Africa is not going to Cahutta, it's not going to uh, uh, Resaca, you know, it's, you got to go a little ways to get to Africa. Uh, so to catch you up to speed, this summer uh, I went to Senegal, West Africa, uh, it's right on the, uh, you know, Africa's kind of got a hump in it, and it's literally right there uh, in that hump, and inside of Senegal we went to seven or eight villages, and uh, just interacted with them the whole time, but I'll get there in just a second. Uh, I'm sure you might be asking, why in the world did a boy that's hardly left Georgia go all the way to Africa? Uh, and that's because of one verse in particular. Uh, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, something is said that's just very, very, very powerful. Uh, <clears throat> He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, uh, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, in other words, to all people. And so right here while we're reading, there are four places that are pointed out that we as Christ followers are called to go, and it gets overlooked a lot. Uh, but he first says Jerusalem, and that is reaching out to our community. Uh, in other words, the new believers were asked to start small, to go uh, build from their community up. Uh, you know, it's kind of like if you want to see the church grow, you've got to see yourself grow. And so he's saying, before you do anything else, let's start small. Uh, and so I felt like I had done that. He then says, uh, reach out to Judea. And so I take that as going from your community out into your country and, uh, you know, stepping outside of your church and spreading your horizons and, and sharing the gospel there. Uh, then he also says to reach out to Samaria. Samaria was a way different culture than what the new Christ followers had ever seen. They were very uh, vast in their beliefs. They weren't all Christians. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they were pretty set on not being Christians. And so he tells them to step out and to go there. And then finally, he says, reach out everywhere in the world. And so that, to me, was saying to go to other nations. Uh, and so there's also a verse in the Bible that says, how will they be saved if somebody doesn't go and tell them? And so I, you know, I kind of took that burden on my heart, like, man, there are lives at risk. And, you know, the thing that's uh, beautiful about missions is in Georgia, we've got a church on every street, every street, if not more than one. Uh, and so I like to put it as this, here in America, we have the bread on the table to eat. In Africa, they don't. They've never seen the bread. They've never smelt the bread. They've never, uh, they don't even know what a loaf of bread looks like. And so I want to go and take that loaf to them because here, you know, you're at least driving down the road and you see church signs that say when service times are and are not. You've got a lot of people knocking on doors. You've got commercials, you know, and anything and everything. But over there, they did not. And so that I took as a personal challenge that I wanted to reach out and go. Um, now, I had been weighing on going to Africa for quite some time, uh, but... It's scary. 
It's real scary. I'd uh, never been on a plane before, never uh, been overseas before, and in less than 24 hours, I touched three different continents. Uh, so we took off from Atlanta. From Atlanta, we flew uh, to Paris, France, and from Paris, France, we flew into Dakar, which is in Africa. And then from Dakar, we had a four-and-a-half-hour van ride to our hotel. And so we had a day and a half of travel alone, and that will wear you out. Uh, I took this journal with me uh, over there because I'm <laughs> very scatterbrained, and if I don't write things down, I'm not going to remember it. Uh, and so uh, just to kind of highlight my, my first uh, little note that I wrote myself is, uh, we are currently 30,000 feet in the air over the ocean, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> How is this plane flying? <laughs> is the pilot a pilot? <laughs> um, I said, God, you got this. Uh, I go on to write later. Thank God I made it. I'm touching ground again. I don't know if I can get on the next plane. Uh, and also a funny story is, how many have flown before? You ever hit an air pocket? Dude. <laughs> I thought I was dead. I thought, you know, we were, I was dead asleep and we were probably an hour and a half from Paris and I feel, and I grabbed the kid beside me and said, dude, start praying. But, uh, <laughs> We, uh, we came out all right. We came out all right. Uh, so anyways, that, that's the why we went. So now I'm sure you want to know, what did we do when we got over there? And so obviously we wanted to go and share the gospel. But let me explain something to you. To share the gospel, you don't go and force it down people's throat. You do not go and force it down people's throat. And it's the same way over here. If you want to get people to see Christ, you've got to live like Christ. And that is what we did when we went to Africa. We would go into the villages uh, we, you know, I played a lot of soccer, something that I've never done before. Uh, and so I tried to act like I was playing soccer. Uh, I brought my guitar. I sang uh, worship songs for them, and uh, they sang worship songs for me. Uh, we went over there. We had a lot of food. The food's a lot different, but believe it or not, it's very good. Uh, they have a lot of spicy foods. Um, and then uh, we would also read Bible stories to them. And my favorite part was getting to share my own testimony with the kids. Uh, and, you know, it was hard because their culture is so much different than ours. We grow up and we're pretty much inherited into Christianity here. Over there, uh, they're born into Islam and most of them are uneducated. And so they don't ever have a chance to read um, any of their religious writings. They don't know what it's about. They just know what they've been told. And they know that if they try to go any other way, they're risking a lot. Now, I'm talking, uh, one of my favorite ladies over there, uh, she followed Christ when she was 33, I think. And her husband took himself and her two kids and walked out and said, until you become uh, an Islam again or a Muslim again, you won't ever see us. She never turned back. She's still following Christ. And so, you know, for somebody to follow Christ over there, they've got a lot of options to weigh out. And, you know, do I really want to get abandoned by my family? Do I really want to risk my life? People are extreme over there. Uh, is it worth it to follow this man named Esau, which is translated to Jesus over here? And so we went over there and we told them about the rewards of Christianity. Uh, and we really just loved on them like Jesus did. Um... It's very hot, very, 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 very hot. Like we hit uh, 118 degrees one day, um, and it's unreal. Nothing like we have over here, but it's also a different kind of heat because uh, in Georgia, we've got humid heat to where if you go and sit in shade, it doesn't do a thing for you. 
you've still got heat wrapping around you. Over there, it's a very dry heat because they don't have much rain. So we could go and sit under a baobab tree, and uh, it, it probably dropped about 15 degrees. So uh, if you would, it, who's got a bulletin? Look at that picture on the front. Um, there's a young man to my left, your right. Um, I know I shouldn't pick and choose favorites, but if I had to you know, choose some kid that I could have stuffed in my luggage to bring back with me, it probably would have been him. And there's a, there's a very funny story. Uh, he was in the second village we went to, and I, I, mean, I poured into him. I, was, you know, I played soccer with him. He could read and write pretty good. I was teaching him pr- to pronounce things in English. He was helping me say things in Pular, and uh, I mean, we, we were conjoined at the hip before the day was over. And uh, when I first introduced him, everybody was introducing themselves. And so it's one big, you know, messy pile, uh, and I'm hard at hearing anyways. And so I could have swore that he said his name was Muhammad. <laughs> so the whole day I'm sitting here calling him Muhammad and said, hey, Muhammad, let's go play soccer again, or hey, uh, you want to go get some uh, food, Muhammad? You know, what you want to do? And so finally, right as the, the day was ending, we were sitting under a baobab tree, and uh, he said, uh, can I ask you something? I was like, I was thinking, man, it's about to get spiritual. It's going to be good. I said, yeah, man, go ahead. He said, why do you call me Muhammad? <laughs> I said, what, is that not your name? And he said, no, my name is Gallo. And so the whole day I'd been calling him Muhammad, and his name wasn't even close to that. Um, but, man, I, I'm still praying for his salvation. I'm still praying that he can raise up and, you know, be a younger, uh, start the younger generation to follow Christ and hopefully, um, you know, do something big over there because uh, the church that I went with has been to that part of Africa for over 10 years. And after 10 years, you're finally starting to see these plants that have been, uh, or the seeds that have been planted and watered for 10 years, they're finally starting to take up and, and grow. And as a matter of fact, we were talking to some of the elders in the last village and they said, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if by the next time you come back, this whole village won't be saved. And that's such a prize, man. Um, and I tell you, there's, there's something over there that you, you can't describe. I never was at worry once I got over there. It was the most peace I'd ever felt, but it was because of one thing, and I'm positive of this. My mind the entire time was focused on one mission, and that was reflecting and glorifying Christ. That was all I worried about, and so I had nothing else to worry about. And so when I got back over here and the worry started to swarm me, you know, I thought, man, I'm off track. My mind is not where it should be. I'm worried about work and school and everything else. That, you know, I'm forgetting to glorify and reflect Christ. It has become secondary. Let me encourage you. If your main goal every morning is to stay on target and to run the races Paul talks about and to reflect Christ, you'll have a lot less to worry about. And it all derives from one thing, love. And so that's what I want to preach on today. If you would, open up into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and while you're doing that, I want to give you some background to the text. Um, the epistle first uh, of the Corinthians was written by Paul, and most likely around the time of A.D. 55. So let's do some math here. Christ lived from uh, A.D. 1 to 33, and so Christ had been not only dead, but resurrected for give or take 22 years. So Paul had seen and walked with Christ. He had seen what he had done. He had seen the miracles he performed. And now he was sure because he saw the resurrection that this was legit and that he needed to preach this message. And so after this sure confidence, um, he starts going on mission trips. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, on his second missionary journey, he found or uh, founds the church in Corinth. And so uh, when he founded a church, he considered it like a baby and he wanted it to grow up and be good. 
And so um, that was on his second mission journey. While he's on his third, he's in a town called Ephesus. Uh, and this is most likely where Paul wrote the book of uh, or the letters to the Corinthian church because he had found out that the Corinthian church that he made uh, had been, I'm not going to say overran, but it had been overtaken by um, all sorts of different people groups. Uh, you see the church or the city of Corinth sat in a place where, uh, you know, the sea was right here and a major trade port was on this side. And so if you wanted to get anywhere, you had to walk through the city of Corinth, or if they didn't want to sell, they took their ship and pulled it through the church of Corinth. And so they always had new people coming in and going, people with new beliefs, um, people that had never heard the message of Christ, and people um, who were eager to find something. Uh, and so when this happened, people were coming to the church with all different beliefs. Uh, they had people dedicated just to Paul. They had uh, people in the church dedicated to Peter. And then they had those that were dedicated to Christ. And so Paul catches wind of this, and he says, this is not good. They are off track. The mission is not going as planned. And so he writes a letter of correction to the church in Corinth. And that is what we're reading today. So with that being said, let's look at verses 1 through 13. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. He goes on in verse 3, I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body so that I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. He then talks about what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own ways. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, and it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. And now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And now we see things imperfectly, uh, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, but then, we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And then finally, in verse 13, he winds down with something so powerful. And if you hear nothing else, listen to this one verse. Three things will last forever, church. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There's a couple things that I want to uh, make note of from 1 Corinthians 13. And after I do that, I want to talk about three different types of love that we see today. And then I want to pray, and we'll get out of here. Can y'all do that with me? Amen? There we go. So three things worth noting in 1 Corinthians 13. Number one, the spiritual gifts and offerings that we have are completely voided without love. The things that we come that we can put on the table to offer to God, if we do them all out of selfish ambition or just to be seen, they are completely useless if we're not doing it with love. Love is our driving force for everything. 
We have to love something to want to do it. Amen? Amen. So how incredible, I want to ask you this, how incredible would it be for you to move a mountain? Would that be pretty sick or what? Oh my gosh. I mean, that would be incredible. Have you seen Fort Mountain? Could you imagine that thing moving even a half an inch? The Bible says that if we had faith strong enough to do it, we could do it. But the thing about it is, if we do it without love, we have done it for no reason. So, these things that we possess and the things that we can come and use to grow the church and to grow other believers, we've got to have it with a heart and we've got to do it with love and a want to and a desire. If not, it's completely voided. The second thing, I want to talk about what Paul says love is. Because uh, I mentioned this last week, uh, we know in our culture what love is not. It's so easy for us to look around and gain an understanding of what love is not. Okay, Everything in our society and in our culture points back to what love is not. But the Bible shows us what love is. If we took time and we read these things I mean, and we understood what love is, you know, marriages would last longer. Friendships would never end and the love for Christ could never, ever grow old. So let's look at what Paul says love is. He says love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful nor proud nor rude. It doesn't demand its own ways. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Number one, love is action, not abstraction. Let me say it again. Love is action and not abstraction. If you're like me, I had to look up that word, abstraction, because what in the world does that mean? Uh, abstraction is not clear. Uh, it's, it's you know uncertain. You don't know what it is. It could be hit or miss. Love is not that. Love is definite. Love is something that we pour into and that we earn and that we give. And so Paul uh, lists two different groups here. He says the positive things that love is and also the negative things that love is. Uh, some of the positives is that love is patient with people and, uh, and gracious to them with an overbearing amount of generosity. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. How often do you get aggravated with those that you love? A lot, right? How often do you want to slap those that you love? A lot, right? How often do you want to slam the door in their face and walk out and call it quits? A lot, right? But that's not what love is. Paul is saying love is patient. Love has the ability to turn the other cheek and walk away for the betterment and the health of that relationship and friendship. That's what he says love is. And he also says that love is gracious. You know, it's giving them mercy when they don't deserve mercy. But if you want that relationship to last and you want it to go stronger and stronger, you have to pour into it. And you've got to be willing to turn the other cheek 100,000 times and expect to do it again. Love is also devoted to truth in everything. Let me tell you, if you want to have a relationship or a friendship and you know, your own different paths with the Bible and spiritually, that relationship will not work. And I'm not telling you to, you know, if you're dating an unbeliever or if you're friends with an unbeliever, to slam the door in their face. I'm not saying that. I'm saying to pray for them. To pray that they get lined up with God's word, that they can see this in 1 Corinthians and want to do it. Uh, love protects. Love protects. Guys, that's our calling. 
when you love something, you will go and defend it no matter what. Our military would lay down their life any second for the love and devotion of this country. That's the same way that we should have with anybody and everything that we love because love protects and it never gives up. Love believes when the, when the situation seems so dark and grim that there's nowhere else you can possibly look, love shows that hope. And love endures what others reject. Love endures what other people will reject. Uh, you know, if you're in a relationship that somebody else doesn't like, they're going to try to tear it apart and they're going to try to pull you away from it. But if you know that there is love there and if you know that it's going to last, you will stand with it because you know that it is truth and you will protect it and you don't care what anybody else thinks because that is yours. That is yours. Paul uh, then goes on to talk about the negative side of love. He says that love never envies or brags. Love is not arrogant. Uh, and, and I think that he says that love is not arrogant uh, because the, uh, that is the opposite of selfless service to others. And that is what love is, is laying down and doing anything and everything for somebody or something. Love is never rude or overbearing. It never wants its own way. It's not irritated, it's not angered in personal offense, and it never finds pleasure in someone else's sin. That is what love is. The third thing that I want to point out from 1 Corinthians 13 is that love never fails. Love never fails. When Paul says this in verse 8, he's referring to love's lastingness and its permanence as a divine quality. Love outlasts all failures. Everything else will fade away, but love will always remain. Let me throw something else out at you. I hope right here, right now, we're all going to heaven. I hope that that's our end goal. I hope that we're running the race, and we're doing everything we can to get other believers there with us. There's a place that we're going to get called heaven, and heaven is going to be the place for the expression of nothing but perfect love toward God and each other. Love will always remain. So, I said there are three types of love that we see today, and uh, this is what I want to point out at you. The first one is uh, humanistic love. Uh, and when I say humanistic love, I'm talking about the love that we have for each other, uh, a love that a person could have for a person, a love that a, a man would have for a woman or a woman have for a man, a love that a man would have for his dog, Amen. I work with kids, and I've seen a bunch of close friends that have a lot of kids, and I don't know that I want kids anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My dog does just fine, though. But it's that, that love that we can see, that love that we can feel. It's a human love. Uh, and let me tell you something. This type of love will disappoint you. It will disappoint you. But outside of that, it will also encourage you. It will also refresh you. It will also pick you up when you're feeling down. Okay, uh, A human love is based majorly off of emotions and feelings. Uh, physical intimacy and the desire of wanting to be known. That is what our human love is. Constantly pursuing someone or something because I believe everybody needs someone or something. The beautiful thing about it is that when we're in any kind of relationship or friendship, it has the opportunity to build you up from the ground. It also has the chance to do the opposite. So that's where we have to be weary and you know, kind of bow our backs a little bit and be ready to not let that happen. Uh, loving others 
is seen all throughout the Bible. And I, I love this. Let me uh, give three verses to you. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Uh, it goes on that if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And also if, we, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can the one keep warm? Having somebody is biblical for you. It also says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, above everything else, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Love will look past the imperfections. Love will look past the failures. Love will keep going when nothing else will, church. And then finally, John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, My command is this. Love each other as I, Christ, have loved you. That's our command as we love people. The second type of love that we see today it's godly love and agape love. Uh, this love is the best kind of love. It's the best kind of love because it will never disappoint you. Uh, and, you know, this kind of love, I said, I said a human love is based off of feeling and emotion. This type of love is based completely off of faith and believing in Christ and believing in God and believing in the resurrection even when you cannot feel it, knowing it to be true. That when Paul wrote this letter 20-some-odd years after Christ had died, that he had seen the resurrected Christ and walked Watch him ascend into heaven. And now we have that same faith and clarity to move on and fight the good fight and run the good race. This love has no borders. I want you to take a minute and think. There wasn't a mountain that you tried to run or drive around that God didn't run or drive around to get to you. There's not a wall that he did not kick down to get to you. There's not an ocean he wouldn't swim across to get to people. And there's not a jungle or a village so far away that God would not get to them. We would give up, but God would not. God's love has no borders. And so I want to also tell you something. Maybe right now, earlier when we had that altar call, you failed it. Because I'm telling you, there's somebody in here that's running from something. Uh, you don't have you know, moments like that, and God's not trying to get a hold of somebody. And so for that someone in here, know that God's love has no border. And just because you walk out of the church, it doesn't mean God's going to stop pursuing you. He's going to pursue you tonight in bed. He's going to pursue you tomorrow while you're heading to work. He's going to pursue you tonight when you're watching TV. He's not going to stop, and he's going to keep knocking. He's going to keep knocking. And the closer you get, the harder he's going to knock. But the further away you go, the less and less it'll get. But it's still knocking. God's love, much like Paul's in this letter, is a corrective type of love. He wants us away from error. But here's the thing. We learn what God's will is from God's word. The hard thing about that is that God's word often contradicts our desires. It often contradicts what we want. But we're too scared to open up the Bible and see that what we're wanting and the things that we're trying to pursue after are not lining up with God's word. And you should not be pursuing something that's not lining up with God's word. I'm a victim of it. I've done it. I will still do it. But that is God's love for us. He wants to correct us from error. And so just because he slams a face in your door and he's keeping you from a bad situation doesn't mean that he's completely given up on you. That means that he's seeing the better road for you and that he's trying to get you back on track with that. But right now, all we can see is right here. Let me tell you something. God has seen to the end. He's wrote to the end and he knows what the end's gonna look like. And my Bible tells me in Revelation that there's gonna be a time where there are no more tears, there are no more sorrow, and there is no more pain and that we will be dancing on streets of gold. And that's what keeps me going. 
A couple verses to describe uh, God's love. Number one, the, you know, probably the most principal and foundational verse in the Bible, John chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us this chance to have something that we cannot have by ourselves. He gave something that if it wasn't for that, we would have no other way to have it. Okay, that is God's love. It's a miracle working, dead man raising kind of love. And that's what we have to grab a hold of. And because I can still tell you today, there are still dead bodies being raised and there are still gonna be giants being slayed as long as Christ is still coming back. And then finally, Romans chapter eight, verses 37 through 39. We need to grab a hold of this right here. Paul says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's life, neither death nor life, no angel or demon, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep running and tell me if you make it. Keep running and tell me if you make it. Because he's not going to stop pursuing you. If he doesn't get to you, it's because you wouldn't turn around and look at him. There's no other way about it. And we have an accountability to it. And you're going to get there one day. When you die, you don't have a second chance, church. You don't have it. He says there was something on earth pursuing you, and you never would turn around to see what it was. And now it's too late. Don't get there. Do not get there. Hmm. And so then the third type of love that I want to tell you about, a love that I have felt very deeply for um, well over 10 years at this place, it's the love of the modern church. Today might be the last Sunday that I get to step up here and preach to y'all at this church. Um, But I owe so many thank yous to so many people. (laughs) You know, if it wasn't for this church and this pastor and all the leaders and everybody in between, I would not be standing up right here, right now. Uh, In the time that I've been at this church, I've seen incredible things. We saw a service with... Uh, 20-some-odd baptisms. We've seen countless numbers of souls saved. Uh, I've been to camps, uh, you know, a countless number of times and seen lives get turned around and saved from darkness. Uh, I've ate many a good meals in the fellowship hall. Um, I've sung my heart out. I've rejoiced, and I've felt the Spirit closer in here than I have anywhere else in the world. But just because one chapter's ending doesn't mean the next one's not coming. Something about the love of the modern church is determined by what you put in. It's determined by what you put in. Uh, I cannot control whether you come to the church or not. I cannot control whether or not you serve in the church. But I can promise you something. There's always a need at every time. I cannot control what you prioritize to keep from coming to church. But coming to church is crucial to your faith. The key to a church is a couple things. Number one, it's complete unity. If the church is separated in its mission, it will never grow. Uh, and, and to have complete unity, that means we have to have everybody on board pressing towards one goal. And that goal of every church is to know and love and serve others like Christ did. 
Outside of complete unity, it's complete obedience synced into encouragement of other people. Be the church that you want to keep coming back to. That's my encouragement for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as this is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. John chapter 13 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, uh, and you also are to uh, love one another. I'm sorry, getting tongue-tied. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the church's mission. And then finally, Proverbs 22, verse 6, and this might be my favorite one because it hits the closest to home. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even so, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, Truett Cathy, the man that founded Chick-fil-A, said that it's a lot easier to raise up a child in the way that he should go than try to repair a man from where he went. That's the goal of the church. So let me tell you something. I want to extend an offering. We, you have an opportunity today um, to get two invitations. We don't get to do this a lot, but I know that God's doing it for a reason because I told you, I felt in my heart and I felt in my soul that somebody in here is running from something or someone and they need to get it right. So I want to tell you, Romans chapter 8 is for you. You can keep running, but you're not ever going to be able to hide completely. Uh, I want to ask something. Prayer warriors inside the church, you guys that want souls to be saved, I'm about to pray here in just a second. Would you come up to the altars and join me? Would you please come right here and show that this is how we fight our battles? That we're going to come hit our knees and we're going to pray for those lost souls and we're going to pray that uh, Satan would not get the victory today, that we are going to walk out of here with every soul inside of this place being saved. Join me as we do that. And for the person that's running, stop what you're doing. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Help us not to lead into temptation, um, but to run from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power of the glory forever. And so, Father, I pray right now for that soul that's running, God. I'm praying right now that you would not let the powers of hell get the best of them. I'm praying that right now you would not let Satan talk to them and get inside their ear, but I pray that you'd keep knocking. I pray that you'd keep knocking down the walls until they cannot handle it anymore. And I pray, Father, that they would come to this altar and see your glory and say, here I am, Lord. I don't know what you want me to do, but here I am. I've done my part. I've showed the obedience. Lord, we know that you're a wonder-working God. We know that you're a miracle-working God, and we know that there's not one thing that you would not do to have one person come to you. And Lord, I do know that all of heaven will rejoice when truth and love wins out. So Father, we're calling upon your name. We're calling upon what you can do. We've read about you doing miracles, and now we want to see it happen right here, right now. Show up and show out. And so Father, I pray as we take just a few minutes, a few moments, I pray that we sit here in silence. Maybe with just the music going lightly in the background. I pray that in that moment of silence, you would stir up in hearts. God, I don't need to speak. I can't get them to heaven. But right now in this moment, this subtle moment, would you pierce their heart to where they cannot handle it anymore? So here it is. Here it is.
I want to say one more time that if you're in this room and you're running from God right now, is the moment to stop. You had an opportunity earlier. It probably caught you off guard. You probably didn't know what to expect, and you were probably a little scared to come to the front, and that's okay. But I want to offer up that prayer to you one more time. If you feel like right now that you're running, but you're not going anywhere, would you whisper this prayer with me? God, I admit I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong, and it's hard to say that. I know that I've tried to be dependent completely on myself, but I know that I need somebody far greater than me. Right now, in this moment, I'm saying I'm sorry. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short. But God, I'm coming back to you. Please forgive me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And from today on, I am living my life for you. God, you are my living hope. Nothing in this world will ever do. And so from this day on, that cross will be before me as I'm walking and the world will be behind me. No turning back, no turning back. And maybe today, you know, that wasn't you. Maybe you know you're saved. Maybe you know you're saved, but maybe you know that God's been calling you to do something, to step up in ministry, to come and grow in the church, to maybe to love your husband or wife a little bit more, maybe to love your children a little bit more, uh, and maybe just to get out into the community and show them the love of Christ. And you want to answer that calling today. Well, here's your chance. Say this prayer with me. Father God, I'm not running anymore, Lord. I know that you've called me to do something. I know that you've called me into a higher work. And so here I am right now on this hot Sunday morning. I'm gonna accept the call. I'm gonna run the good race. And Lord, I know that my days in this world are numbered and I'm not gonna waste another one. I'm coming back to you, Lord. So Father, I'm not sure what my calling is. I'm not sure if I'm gonna go into ministry. I don't know if I'm gonna preach. I don't know if I'm supposed to sit in the, uh, the nursery or what I'm supposed to do. But God, I know you're calling me and I'm not running anymore because Lord, your reckless love has pursued me and sought me out when nobody else would. And Lord, there were nights that I cried tears that nobody else heard, but you were sitting there wiping them away from me, God. And Lord, there was times when I had weight on my shoulders that I could not carry. I'm done trying to carry it. Lord, take that weight off of me, Lord. If that's you, come to the altar right now. Your Father is calling you with arms wide open, without any kind of chastisement. He wants you here right now in the love of God. Stop running. Love is here. Love is right now. Love has already been poured out for you on a cross. It's time for you to come and do your part. He's waiting on you.